On this Mother's Day, uh, we launch a three-part sermon series, How Families Work Sometimes, because we acknowledge the honesty of Scripture and the honesty of our own lives that families don't always work like we're supposed to, and yet God's grace is always there. And in just a moment, I'll be reading from Acts chapter 16, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles to that Scripture that we'll begin reading in verse 22, and uh, be prayerful during this sermon series time. For just a moment this morning, I'd like for us to bow our heads and uh, enter into a time of meditation just to be quiet in God's presence, to receive. You know, I think worship is more than talking. Prayer is more than talking. It is listening. It is being quiet in God's presence. It is receiving. And so we'll just bow for meditation and that I'll lead us in family prayer. Creator God, in this world that is so filled with noise and sounds, it is good to be quiet and awake and alert in your presence to receive what you have for us. We begin this morning lifting up the name of King Jesus, the one who has lived and died and been raised again and who has ascended and who is at your right hand. He is our Savior and our Liberator, our Lord and our King. And in light of your glorious grace, that mercy that would forgive us and keep coming after us even when we ignored you, we acknowledge our sins and our brokenness and our failure. We acknowledge that our families are far from what you have desired us to be. And yet we thank you for grace that keeps on coming, that never gives up. We pray for cleansing and forgiveness, for renewal and refreshment as we wait in your presence. We pray today, as Ken reminded us, for all of our mission partners. We pray for our partners specifically in and through the ministry of Friendship Singers uh, this day and for safety and strength as they return home. We pray for a world of brokenness and pain that needs you for the wildfires in Canada to be contained and for all of those who are doing emergency work. We pray for those experiencing floods. We pray for all of those experiencing the terrors of war, that you might bless our troops, but also, God, bless the leaders of nations, that there might be an end to violence, and that bless the refugees, so many homeless, so many displaced. We pray particularly for peace in Syria today, that the violence might end. We ask today, God, that you calm the wars in our own hearts, that those ways that we are struggling to find your will or to live in your purposes or to understand your path, you might, you might show us the way for those seeking comfort and healing that you might bless and soothe and heal and protect. We ask God that you bless our hearts with understanding as we open your word this morning, that Christ can be glorified, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, amen. Open your Bibles with me to Acts 16, beginning in verse 22. The words will also be on the screen from our text. We'll read through verse 34. If you're able, would you stand, please, as God's Word comes among us. As we begin to read in verse 22, Paul and Silas 
uh, have gotten in trouble for preaching the gospel. And we read in verse 22, the crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was an earthquake, so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced that, had, that he had become a believer in God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, as we uh, think about this story of the Philippian jailer and how he came to faith in Christ and his entire family came to faith in Christ, uh, several questions are invited. One question being, do we really believe in the power of the personal conversion experience anymore? Do we really deep down believe in the power of Jesus Christ to convert someone uh, to faith? The second question would be related to that. After I read this story, do we really believe that those of us who are converted to Christ have the capacity to influence others to be transformed by Jesus Christ as well? Do we really believe that those who are converted to Christ have the power to influence others? And then here would be the third question. Do we really believe that our Closest relationships are our best faith-sharing opportunities. I had a seminary professor, Dr. Delos Miles, who hammered away at that, and he said that our closest relationships are our best faith-sharing opportunities. And I wonder if we really believe that. Well, you remember the story. We just read it, and, and I've preached lots of sermons from this text, and If you've been around Baptist life very long, you've heard lots of revival sermons from this text. There was uh, this episode where Paul and Silas were arrested for preaching the gospel. They got uh, beaten with rods. Then they were thrown in the innermost prison, their legs put in stocks, their legs spread apart painfully. But instead of complaining, they're singing at midnight choruses to God. And then there is this earthquake, the chains fall off, the doors open, and 
the jailer awakens, the one in charge, probably a retired Roman soldier who's been placed uh, in charge of this prison. He sees that the prisoners are about to escape. He draws a sword because uh, based on Roman honor, if you fail your charge, if you, if you allow prisoners to escape, you pay with your life. The Apostle Paul screams at him, don't kill yourself. And then this jailer, probably a retired Roman soldier who's been disciplined and trained in order and power and, and following the rules and having confidence in, in the success of Rome, he's suddenly at the end of himself. He doesn't have any more resources. He's, he's out of He's out of answers. He's he's no longer self-sufficient. He's broken. He's he's in need. And he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And the Apostle Paul and the others give that answer that is so important for all of us. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Not only you, but your house. And then there's this interesting part that we don't often talk about as much. The sequence of events. The jailer took them outside and he and his entire family heard the gospel. They heard the story of Jesus and how you can trust in Jesus and and know that your sins are forgiven and that eternal life is a part of your heritage from that point forward. Uh, They found some water, maybe a well at the barracks, maybe a well near his home. He washed the wounds of of uh, of Paul and Silas who'd been beaten by the soldiers. And there was enough water there also that they were baptized. Not only was the jailer baptized, but the scripture is careful to say his entire family was baptized. And then they did a very Baptist thing. They ate. They had a meal together. And Luke, you remember when he wrote the Gospel of Luke, he loved to talk about Jesus' meals. Well, he continues that tradition in Acts. He he thinks it's important that we eat together. And and get this picture, this, this... Retired Roman soldier, this Philippian jailer, so hard-bitten and so, so crusty and, and unfeeling, had been converted to Christ, and now he's washing the wounds of prisoners, and he's letting them sit at his table, and he's sharing a meal. And they had fried chicken and mashed potatoes and green beans and apple pie. It's right there in my Bible, I promise you. I think I saw it. But what a great story. Now, as I said, we don't often talk about this part. But right after that, believe on the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, there are these references to the household. You will be saved, you and your household, verse 31. He and his entire family were baptized, verse 33. He and his entire household rejoiced as they shared the meal together, verse 34. Those are important Those are important. Now, how is it that the jailer came to faith in Christ and his entire family did? Well, there's one that I didn't even put up there, and it's in verse 32. It says that the word was shared not only with the jailer, but with his entire household. And there are obviously a lot of things that Luke's leaving out about telling them the story of Jesus and how they came to faith. But see, that's a powerful story of how family influence spreads quickly as Jesus Christ becomes real to the home. Now, there's a part of uh, the ancients, their lives, that we sometimes don't get living in Western cultures. 
in, in our Western culture, we're very individualistic. Uh, we think of everything in atoms or small, small realities. But it, the ancient Western, the ancient Eastern culture, uh, rather thought of life as tribe, as people group, as family, as units larger than the individual. Uh, some of you will know the author David McCullough, who wrote so many, has written so many great presidential biographies. Uh, I, presidential biography is one of my uh, hobby readings. And uh, David McCullough tells that when he was researching the book, uh, his book on Theodore Roosevelt, he was talking to relatives, uh, descendants of Theodore Roosevelt. And uh, he knew that a lot of biographies had been written on Teddy Roosevelt. And so he asked the family, is there anything about your great ancestor, Teddy Roosevelt, that biographers have missed that you want me to talk about in my book? And one of the family members spoke up and said, yes, there is. None of his biographers have talked about how Theodore Roosevelt saw himself as part of a clan, not just an individual, but he saw himself as a, as a unit in a larger network, a clan, C-L-A-N. That's, what, that's, that's the word that the family member used. And see, I think that there is that, that connection to family that we all have, whether we want to acknowledge it or not, whether the experience has been good or bad, there is that connection to family that, that we see working in Acts 16, that, that as this Philippian jailer was confronted with his sin and his need and his emptiness and turned to Christ, so that that network was able to work in a positive way that the entire family, the entire family might come to faith in Christ. On this Mother's Day um, of 2016, I think it's uh, appropriate that I remind you of an observation by Alexander Levy. He reminds us that we all began as an embryo attached to the wall of our mother's womb. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what your age, doesn't matter what kind of relationship with family you grew up in, we all began as embryos attached to the wall of our mother's womb. And he goes on and reminds us that through that attachment, we received nutrition and oxygen. And that sack around us protected us from harm and danger. And so Levy reminds us that was our first relationship with anybody. Isn't that an amazing thought? that your relationship with your mother was the first relationship you ever had. And I would go on to add that we should be careful to say not only do we feel connected to our parents or family, we literally were connected to our family in deep and mysterious ways, ways that sort of defy any kind of explanation. And so... It figures that with these deep prenatal kinds of connections, that family would have the opportunity to, to influence one another for good or for ill. 
And and influence is the theme that's running through those scriptures that we looked at this morning in the Philippian jailer. Uh, Some of us remember the great movie Forrest Gump, Tom Hanks. uh, And remember Forrest's favorite saying, Mama always said, life is like a box of chocolates. Mama always said. And the movie was a great reminder that mothers and fathers have enormous influence even when we think our children aren't listening. And maybe especially when we think our children aren't listening. You know, I've pastored here long enough. I have pastored many of you through the raising of teenagers. It's not for cowards. And I have had this conversation with many of you, and you will recognize that I have said to you, I have counseled you, when your children hit the teenage years, your control is minimal, your influence is great. And many parents try to flip this around and sort of panic when the rebellious years come along. And they try to maximize control, and the only thing that happens when you try to maximize control is that often the child becomes more rebellious. And most parents overestimate the control they have over a child, but underestimate the influence they have over a child. And one of the things that the Scripture is so... obviously telling us is that we have influence within our household, even when we don't think we do. The Philippian jailer had influence in a way that could lead not only himself but others to faith in Christ within his own household. And I would hasten to add that that influence is not just parent-child. It's between and among siblings, It's uh, from child to parent. Uh, It's between grandparent and grandchild. It's between siblings. It's, It's among cousins. And even if you're single, don't underestimate the power of your influence with extended family and the way that you can influence nieces and nephews and family members. Because it's all a part of God's plan, this web of relationships. Now I want to ask you a question about this uh, Philippian jailer. We think probably a retired Roman soldier. Was he living in such a way that he was promoting values that brought about hope And fulfillment, or was he living, I'm talking about before he met Christ, was he living in such a way that his life promoted the values that bring about hope and purpose and fulfillment, or was he, before he met Christ, living in such a way that he was promoting values of emptiness and and hopelessness? See, before he met Christ, if he was a typical Roman, 
He believed in the power of Rome. He believed in the power of power. He believed that, that all that mattered is crushing your enemy, that there was no life beyond this one, that the only glory was the glory of Rome, that this life is all there is. But after he met Christ, he found out that there was a greater Caesar, a greater Lord. And he found out there was more to life than power. There was this experience of love and grace and forgiveness. And I just want to throw this reminder in. In case you hadn't thought about it, the Roman Empire of our day has plans for our children. Do we have plans for our children? Because if we don't have plans for our children, the Roman Empire of our day will make plans for them. And a part of this dream we're dreaming is a congregation with Imagine If, revisioning God's dream for us, is a commitment to the children of our congregation and their children's children for all the years to come to make sure that God's plan that brings fulfillment and joy is the one that gets there first instead of of the empire's plan. I sat across from a young lady one time in tears. The marriage was breaking up. She was struggling. She was trying to verbalize to her pastor what her heart was experiencing, and she said to me, I told my husband, we don't need a million dollars, we need you. Physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually present. And then she went on and said to him, what good's a million dollars if our kids don't have their parents? And I thought about that conversation and I thought about the fact that you could pour a million dollars into a heart, but if the heart has a hole in the bottom of it, that stuff just goes on through and it doesn't work anyway. Jesus the Christ sews up the hole in the bottom of the heart. And when we put the good stuff in that satisfies, the good stuff in that lasts, the heart becomes healed and well. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means to admit and acknowledge that we are broken sinners, that we have rebelled against God, to turn to Him and by faith put the weight of our life, the only soul we have, on Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done for us on the cross. To believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is to make a commitment to Him. It's to it's to open our heart's door and to receive him by faith. It doesn't mean we understand it all. It doesn't mean we never stumble. It means that we trust him. We believe on him. And we're saved. And when we get serious about Jesus, it will be amazing. When we get serious about Jesus, it will be amazing the influence that we can have on the household around us. Let's pray together. God, open our hearts to the truth you have for us as individuals, as families, as clans, as a church. Open our hearts to the truth of the gospel. 
This is our prayer. Amen. Let's stand together. Alice is going to lead us in just a moment in our response time. And I want to simply say this. If you've not yet trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, uh, we invite you to do that this morning. Be here at the front to pray with you, to answer your questions. If you're already a follower of Christ, but you have some prayer concern this morning, we invite you to come. Church membership decision, uh, or just a prayer about God's next step in your life. Whatever it is, the altar is open to anyone seeking Uh, God's face this morning as Alice leads us. Let's sing.